We're going to be in Matthew 16 here in just a few minutes. That's what's in your, your text notes there in the, the worship guide that we handed out to you this morning on the way in, the bulletin. And so we're headed there, but as I was thinking about baptizing Sydney and Emory uh, all week and just... By the way, I'm really uh, proud of myself that I made it through that, so you all can give me some credit there. <laughs> um, I don't know that I'll make it through the whole morning, but we made it through that so far. But as I was thinking about baptizing them and just all four baptisms today, and I was thinking about that it is a celebration, and it's an exciting day and an exciting moment, but also that sometimes if we're not careful, we treat that like it's the goal. Like, hey, th this was the goal, and we got there. And that's what we wanted, and we're done. And it's not the finish line. Like, in most ways, it's the starting line. Um, and so I wanted to spend just a minute looking at what Jesus says about baptism, Matthew 28, and just talk about us as a church and the way we view things like this um, and, and why we would view them maybe differently than we typically have, where, where sometimes the view is almost like, hey, we just got to get these kids baptized. Right, get them to make a decision, get them to raise their hand, get them baptized, and then we're good to go. We've done what we should do. And that's not remotely what Jesus tells us about following him. And so in Matthew 28, this is after the resurrection, right before Jesus ascends into heaven. And starting in verse 18, this is what he says about himself because God the Father has raised him from the dead. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, like because the resurrection shows that Jesus has received all authority in heaven and on earth, that he is King of kings and Lord of lords and God over all things, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Because of who he is, teach people to follow him. Make disciples of Jesus all over the world, all nations, all people. The world belongs to him. He has authority over the whole world, and the whole world needs to know him and follow him because of who he is. And then here's how he describes making disciples. This first piece is baptizing them, what we just did this morning, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But that's the first piece of making disciples. And then he gives this really far-reaching and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so this ongoing teaching them, really it sounds like for the rest of their life, to obey in every area of their life, right? to follow Jesus and his teaching and his commands for the rest of their life. And then, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. To the very end of the age making it really clear this is about a relationship with Jesus, him being with you, living in you for the rest of your life, that that's the goal in one sense. Not just this moment, but teaching, making disciples, an ongoing, lifelong relationship with Jesus. But then there is one more piece, actually. When all this is happening, when we're following Jesus and we recognize that he's with us and he's teaching us and we're doing what he said, what's the first thing that he says to his disciples right back up here? Go and make disciples. So disciples of Jesus, yes, they're baptized. Disciples of Jesus 
are learning, being taught to obey everything Jesus has commanded us. We're obeying those things. Disciples of Jesus, we're aware that Jesus is with us, living in us, always with us to the end of the age. But then also, disciples of Jesus, if we are making disciples of Jesus, disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. They go and make disciples. And you know, week after week, we've been talking about this idea that God has given us his spirit and his word for this purpose. For us to go into the world and be his people. For us to make disciples wherever he places us. For us to teach other people what he's teaching us by his spirit from his word. And and I just want you to see that that's in Jesus' words to us. His last words to his disciples right before he ascends into heaven after the resurrection. That all the resurrection power of Jesus and the authority of Jesus that he leaves with his people before he ascends into heaven is focused on this. Not that we would count how many people do we baptize, like if we want to count stuff. Not that we would count how many people are in this room on a Sunday morning, but if we want to count anything, how many people are we sending? How many people are going the way that Jesus talks about? How many missionaries are going out? How many Bible study groups are starting at work? How many house churches are starting? How many new churches are we planting? How many people are really living out what Jesus has said to us as his followers by making more followers of Jesus? Really hearing clearly the things that Jesus has said to us and then living them out as he lives in us. And so it it took me back to this way that we're studying the Bible, and and I wanted to remind you of some things we've talked about as we get into Matthew 16 today. In terms of what Jesus has said right here in Matthew 28, we've talked about three levels uh, of spiritual growth, if you want to talk about it that way. Um, And baptizing my girls made me think of them physically growing up. You know, from the time they were born, that when they're infants, we have to feed them. They can't even feed themselves. And this first level right here of spiritual growth is that you would get fed. And it is, it's part of the reason why we come together, that all of us need to be fed spiritually, that we need to be taught these things that Jesus has taught us, that we need other people in our life speaking into our life, feeding us spiritually, but that that isn't where Jesus wants us to end up, right? There's this aspect of as you're being taught, you are now learning to obey and to follow Jesus and to live with Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus so that eventually you're also feeding yourself. That day in and day out, you're coming to the Word of God and you're asking the Spirit of God to speak to you. That you aren't fully dependent on someone else, whether it's a teacher or a parent or somebody in your life, to feed you all the time. But there's a level of growth where you're saying, yeah, I can feed myself as well. Now, that doesn't make us independent of other people feeding us because we always need other people speaking into our life, because God designed us to live in community with one another, to hear from one another, to speak into each other's lives and teach one another, and for us to live in a place of humility where we would say, I can't do this alone. I don't do this by myself. So we continually get fed, but we're also learning to feed ourselves. But then that last piece of real spiritual growth is that we start feeding others. You know, Sydney and Emery have cousins that are younger than them uh, that are three and four right now. And they love to feed Wilder and Eliza. And that's a good sign, right? That, that they're no, if we had an eight-year-old and a six-year-old that we still had to feed all the time on our own, we'd be worried, right? 
Like if I was still holding a bottle in Sydney's mouth every night before she went to bed and she would never feed herself at eight years old, we'd be going to all kinds of doctors saying, what in the world is wrong? Wouldn't we? And how often are we eight, 18, 48 years into our spiritual journey and we come and sit once a week and wait for somebody to stick a bottle in our mouth? That's not the picture that Jesus gives for his church. That's not the goal. This is the starting place. It's exciting. Like you, you have no idea how much it means to me to baptize my daughters today. It's a big deal. I'm not minimizing it, but it's the starting place. And for us to be the type of church that God calls us to be, for us to be the people of God that he calls us to be, that has to be the starting place. The place where we say, okay, now, how do we equip them? How do we equip all of us to feed ourselves that you would have a relationship with Jesus where you realize he's with you every day by his spirit who lives in you and through his word by which he speaks to you that he really is with you always to the end of the age. Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus with all authority and all power in heaven and on earth with you, changing how you live using you then to go and make disciples, to feed others, that this is the picture. This is what he intends for us. And so it's why each week we've been studying the Bible the way we have, that the goal wouldn't be, and I'll I'll just say it this way, I'm not even going to apologize, the goal wouldn't be for you to come and somebody up here on stage to stick a bottle in your mouth every Sunday for the rest of your life until you die. Right? But the goal would be to say, how do we equip you? to feed yourself? How do we equip you to feed other people? Can you, how do we all walk away and say the point is that God would have us do this in our lives, in the world, with other people this week, every week, every day, that we would be aware of what he's calling us to do and who he's calling us to do. We would say, these are the actual words of Jesus. If I'm going to say that I follow Jesus, I've got to follow what Jesus says. And we can show up and we can build a type of church that doesn't look anything like what Jesus said, but then let's just admit that we aren't actually following Jesus. Do you see that here? That's why there is an an urgency to me that we would say, hey, let's do this in a way where we're really trying to trust Jesus, where we're really trying to listen to Jesus, where, where the thing that would shape what we're doing is what Jesus says about his church. And so that's these next couple of weeks. I've told you the past few weeks, Matthew 16, the, the chapter that we're in today, and Matthew 18, where we'll be next week, are the only two times in the Gospels that the word church is on the lips of Jesus. And it may seem weird to you that Jesus doesn't say the word church more than that in all of his time on earth that we have recorded in the Gospels, but you have to remember that the church didn't exist yet. Right? Before the death and resurrection of Jesus, We're still in the old covenant, the temple system, the sacrificial system of Judaism. And it's only after Jesus sends his spirit in Acts chapter 2 that the church is born and comes to life, which is after Jesus has already been resurrected. And so these two times that Jesus mentions the word church uh, in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, I just felt like they'd be a great place for us to spend a couple weeks where we would say, out of all the things that Jesus could have said about the church— 
What are the two things he said? Like when he mentions the church, what are the two areas he's focused on? What are the two thoughts that he chose to share with us when he mentions the word church? And so that's why we're going to be in Matthew 16 today. And as I was talking about this way of of studying the Bible, I wanted to remind you of these three truths that we keep bringing every week, why we would study the Bible this way. That the Bible is a spiritual book. We spent the last two weeks in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 over and over and over hearing that it is not worldly wisdom, it is not human wisdom, it is not human eloquence, it is not human persuasion that is going to bring about spiritual results in our lives. That, that we can read this all day long, academically, intellectually, from a human comprehension standpoint, and it will not bear in us the spiritual fruit that God intends unless the Spirit of God does something that only He can do. That we are coming primarily to a spiritual book, not just an academic book or an intellectual book or even a religious book that, that gives us <clears throat> rules and, and laws and steps and things, to, but a spiritual book where we encounter the Spirit of God. The second thing is that the Bible's about God, that this is his story that he's telling us from start to finish, that this is his book about him, and he's revealing himself to us in this third one, one continuous story, that we would see the connections from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation 22 and everything in between, that God's telling us a story about himself through which his spirit will reveal him to us and teach us who he is. And so based on that, We've been studying the Bible this way, built around the acronym text. The T is talk to God. That if this is a spiritual book that God has to reveal spiritual truths to us and do spiritual work in us, then we're dependent on him to do it. And so in just a minute, we're going to pray together, and we're going to confess our dependence on the Spirit, our dependence on God to do the work that only he can do. And then if the Bible's about God, that we're going to come, and I'm going to read this section of Matthew 16 in a few minutes with our main thought being, how will we encounter God in his word? This is not primarily about us. This is not primarily about what he wants us to do. This is about him and about who he is. And so our first question that I'm going to ask you to be answering as we read it is, what's this teach us about God? That, that you would be sensitive to what the Spirit reveals to you. And I'm going to ask you for your answers in a few minutes after we read this section. Just what are truths about God that you see as a result of us reading the Bible together this morning, asking the Spirit to teach us? And then also, what is God teaching us about us? That these truths that he's revealing about himself, he's revealing to us because he wants to change us. He wants to work in us. He wants to call us to faith and following him. And so there are going to be things that he reveals about us where he says, hey, this is who you are apart from me when you don't know me, when you don't look to me. And this is who you are with me when you do look to me, when you do know me. And so we will ask that as a secondary question. Based on who God is, what's he teaching us about us? And then we're going to examine our hearts. like Knowing that this is a spiritual work where God is wanting to bring spiritual heart change to us, what's he saying to our hearts this morning? And then we're going to pray again, talk to God Ask him to do whatever it is he's revealed to us. That we wouldn't just say, all right, I've got my marching orders. Now I've got to be strong enough and good enough and determined enough and self-disciplined enough to go pull this off. That's not what he wants. He wants you to look at it and say, okay, the only way this will happen in my heart and in my life is if you do it. And so I'm going to ask you to do it. And then this last piece is everything that we just talked about in Matthew 28. Not just talk to God, but talk to others. Whatever he pours into you this morning, is so that you would pour out into others this week, that it would flow from him through you and to other people, that he has not brought you here this morning just to sit and get fed, 
He's brought you here to get fed so that you grow strong, so that you're able to feed yourself, so that you're able to feed others, so that you are growing lifelong into the type of disciple that Jesus describes when he tells us to make disciples. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to pray for us right now. We're going to pick up in Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. And as I read this, be asking yourself, what's this teach us about God? What are the truths about God that we see in this text? So let's pray together. Father, I know that it is easy for us to come right now with a thousand things circling in our minds and a thousand things that seem really important and really pressing. And for us to be distracted and deceived by those things because we feel like they're the most important things. And so right now, Father, I ask you to impress on our hearts and minds the truth that what we need more than anything else in the whole world is to hear from you, that we need to encounter you in all of your grace and in all of your truth right now during this time, that that is the most important thing, that you are the most important thing. And so, Father, I ask you right now, please teach us by your Spirit, from your Word, as only you can. Open up the truth of your Word to us and open us up to the truth of your Word And work in our hearts and work in your people to build your church and and make us into the church and the people that you have called us to be. The, The reasons for which you have given us your spirit, the reasons that you live in us, the reasons that you lead out and call us to follow Jesus. Father, bring a a great spiritual harvest and great spiritual fruit in our lives the way that you call it to be. Father, we cannot do this. We are dependent on you. We need you. And we trust you to do it because of Jesus, because of his perfect life and because of his sacrificial death and because of his powerful resurrection. We come to you right now in the name of Jesus and we ask all of this. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on... Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here with me will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. All right, I know there's a lot packed in there. But what's that teach us about God? What stands out to you? Truths about who God is, how he works, Father, Son, uh, and Spirit. Truth is revealed by the Father in heaven. God reveals truth. And do you hear that right there? Like everything that I just rattled on about for 10 minutes. That as soon as Peter says something spiritually true about Jesus... Jesus' response is, well, I know that no human taught you that. God the Father had to reveal that to you. That, that's the only way you would know it. All right, truth is revealed by God. What else? Great. Jesus had to suffer And die. There was a reason I wanted to keep these two sections connected. You know, after Peter declares, hey, you're the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, we get down right here, and does anybody ever feel like this is really weird in verse 20? Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And that sounds, I think, almost opposite of everything I stood up here and said at the beginning. Like the whole purpose of following Jesus is that we would go tell everyone who Jesus is, that we would make disciples, that we would make followers of Jesus, that they would know who Jesus is. And here he is on earth with his disciples. And the very first time that they finally come to the realization of, oh, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ that God has been promising all through the centuries. He's like, no, don't tell anybody. Do you see why? Contextually? After they say that, what's the very next thing that he has to do from that time on? He has to explain that he's going to be killed and raised to life. In other words, he has to explain what type of Messiah he actually is. Like you've got to understand that this mindset right down here with Peter... This shall never happen to you. The Messiah can't, like Peter, I know you're the Messiah now, and the Messiah doesn't die. 
The Messiah is not rejected and outcast by all the religious leaders and all the political leaders. He, he doesn't lose. He wins. Right? He triumphs. He conquers. The Messiah is going to come and be the great king and the great warrior who conquers the whole world and ushers in God's kingdom and, and victory. And Jesus is like, I am the Messiah, but I'm not the type of Messiah the world makes you think I'm going to be. I'm a Messiah who conquers through death. I'm a Messiah who conquers through sacrifice. I'm a Messiah who has to die first. And I think he's teaching us here that Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of self-sacrifice. Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of self-giving. Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of death to self. When he wants to define what it's going to look like to follow him in his kingdom, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Like Jesus' kingdom is a place for you to come and die to die to yourself, to die to your flesh, to die to your worldly way of thinking and all of your worldly goals and your worldly ambitions and your worldly plans and your worldly illusion of control must deny themselves, take up their cross. But listen, that's not the end of it. And follow me. You're dying for a reason. You're dying to find life in him. You're dying to yourself so you can follow him, that he's the goal. Your death isn't the end of the story. It's not just the negative, hey, die to all the bad stuff in you. It's the positive, turn from that so that you're turning to all the great stuff in Jesus so that he becomes your life. He becomes the reason that you live. He becomes the source of power spiritually in you. He is how you live. That everything that you die to in yourself, you find a thousand times more and a thousand times better in him. But his kingdom is a place where self has to die. Self has to be given up. Self has to be sacrificed so that he comes to life in us. And he sets that example by, by being the one who gives himself first, that he conquers, he sets up his kingdom by dying. They had no clue that that was the way of God. They had no clue that that's what the Messiah would do. And so he's like, you can't tell people I'm the Messiah until you understand what type of Messiah I am. What else? Stands out to you. Mm. Jesus builds the church and the church is built on Jesus. <laughs> All right. That's, no, that's TKO right there, right? Like, that's knockout. We don't, we're done for the morning. Jesus builds the church, and the church is his. And the church is built on the truth. The, let's erase that, truth of who Jesus is. 
If you never take notes, will you please write these three down? Jesus builds the church. The church is his. Like it belongs to Jesus. And the church is built on the truth of who Jesus is. And that's all packed in right up here. When Peter declares who Jesus is, and you know this word Messiah, that's a Hebrew word. We haven't translated it. When you translate it into Greek, it's the word Christ. So Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, it's the same thing, but we haven't translated either of those words. In English, probably the easiest translation would be anointed one. Just like in the Old Testament when they poured oil on somebody's head to anoint them and show God has chosen them as the true king. You know, when Samuel anoints David, that the Messiah is the anointed one, the chosen one of God, the one that all throughout that Old Testament story from the time of Adam and Eve, when God promised, I'll send someone who's going to stomp on the head of that snake. He's going to crush the snake's head. He's going to undo all the things that you all just messed up. And then the promises he makes to Abraham. There's going to be kings who come from you. And the promises he makes to all of Israel. And the promises he makes to David. You're going to have a descendant on the throne forever. All of these God's, all of God's promises built up together. There's this Messiah, this anointed one, this promised one, this chosen one, who's coming to rescue God's people and fulfill all of God's promises. That is the Messiah. That is the Christ. And Peter's saying, that's who you are, Jesus. Like in all of history, it's all been building toward this person, and you are that person. And the truth of who Jesus is, that he has come to rescue God's people and fulfill all of God's promises to God's people, all of that is packed in this right here. And Jesus says, you know, blessed are you because you wouldn't have figured this out on your own because I don't look like what the world thought the Messiah would look like. I don't look like what the Jews expected. I don't look like what all the religious people who memorized all their Bible verses thought I was going to look like. You wouldn't see me with natural physical eyes as the Messiah. It's been revealed to you spiritually by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter. And the word Peter means rock. There's a, this is a play on words here. But it, it's Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S in Greek. On this rock, P-E-T-R-A. Jesus uses a slightly different form there. And he may not have been speaking Greek here, by the way. He may have been speaking Aramaic. But we believe with the Holy Spirit inspiring Matthew, who was standing here here in this conversation, that Matthew knows that Jesus was saying something different here. And Matthew could even see his body language. It may have been, hey, yeah, you're Peter. On this rock, I'll build my church. you're, You're Petros. On this Petra, I'll build my church. And just because I know there's a lot of conversations sometimes about that, I pulled out a couple of verses to try to encourage you that uh, this is what Jesus means. He's not saying that Peter's the rock. 1 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Rock there is Petra, same word Jesus uses in Matthew 16. And then Ephesians 2, talking to the church, you were built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Yes, like God has spoken truth through his apostles and prophets, and he's building the church on that truth with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. Here is the central stone that holds everything together, the whole church built on Jesus. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, in Jesus. And so 
I think that Carol's interpretation here is exactly right, that the church is built. When Jesus says, yes, you're right, that truth you just said about me, about who I am, the gospel truth that I am the Messiah, the rescuer that God has sent to fulfill his promises and rescue his people, my church will be built on that truth, the truth of who Jesus is. And he says, I will build my church. Right? This is why I said Jesus is the one who builds it, and it's my church. Do you see all of those truths packed in right there? Jesus builds the church. The church is his. It belongs to him. And the church is built on the truth of who Jesus is, this declaration by Peter. And so week one right here, what I would say as I thought about it all week, we've got Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. One, the huge truth I would want you to see, the two times Jesus talks about the church, the two things, he, two things he says to us, the first one this week is that the church is built on gospel truth. Right? The church is built on the gospel truth of who Jesus is. That that has to be the foundation. When Jesus is the one building his church, that is how he builds it. And that's why I get up here and I go on a rant about Matthew 28 after my daughter's baptism. Because it's so easy and so dangerous for us to build something different on something different. But it's so easy for us to read Jesus' words in Matthew 28 when he's really clear about what it means to be his disciples. That it means go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And listen, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. But that is what he says to his church. That is who he calls us to be. It's easy for us to hear that and then for us to build something else where we do something else. Do you see how dangerous that is? And do you see how easy it is to make this something else? But if we're talking about the church that Jesus builds, if this is going to be a work of God done by God where we are dependent on him and we point to things and we're like, that doesn't happen unless God does it. These things, this type of spiritual work, this type of life change, this type of heart change, this type of restoration, this type of rescue, God has to do a work by his spirit for that to happen. If we're going to point to that stuff, it must be built on the foundation of who Jesus is, the gospel truth of a Messiah who comes and dies and gives himself pours himself out for unworthy sinners, people who could never in their own strength accomplish anything spiritual, let alone build the church of God and overcome the gates of hell. Like, we couldn't do that. Not for ourselves, let alone for the world. But he can, and he has, and it's who he is, and all of our hope's in him. All of our hope is in him, and our only message is him. Right? When our message is the truth of who Jesus is, he's building his church. When our message is anything else, whatever's being built is not his church, and whatever's being built is not being built by him. Do you see that in Matthew 16? And the really subtle, dangerous one for us is this Peter danger. Which, by the way, you want one more, one more really good piece of evidence that the church isn't built on Peter? Peter has this great answer, right? Like, shining moment. Peter, you get your star on the board by your name. You know who Jesus is. And then what are we, six verses later? 
And he's looking at Jesus saying, no, you can't do that. You're wrong. And he gets this rebuke, get behind me, Satan. You've gone from, hey, your shining moment to you're like Satan himself right now because you don't have in mind the things of God. And the problem is you have merely, you're thinking like a human again. You're thinking like the world. You want to do this the way the world would do this. You want to build this the way the world would build this. You want to build the things that the world would build. And Jesus goes so far as to say, that's satanic. Demonic. These are your choices. Either utter dependence on Jesus and build on the truth of who he is and trust him alone. Or be like the devil. And we've all got it in us to vacillate really, really quickly, right? Listen, if it's built on you or it's built on me or it's built on Peter, it's going to be really unstable. Because in six verses, you can go from getting everything right to blowing it completely. And Jesus is saying, but take heart. It's not built on you. It's not built on Peter. Jesus is saying, it's built on me. The truth of who I am. And Jesus is unchanging. Jesus does not waver in, this is who I am. This is the type of Messiah I am. This is why I came. And I will do this. I will build my church in this way. And so there's a lot of danger that we would roll out all of our plans and all of our thoughts. That we would look at Jesus and say, now this this just, this can't be the best way to do this. No, never. Not that way. And Jesus would look at us and say, this is the only way to do this. Will you die to yourself? Will you confess your emptiness and your brokenness and your weakness and your neediness? And when you come and trust Jesus' strength and Jesus' goodness and Jesus' righteousness and Jesus' power and Jesus' authority and the grace of Jesus' gospel that gives his church everything we need, that he is with you in all power and all authority, living in you by his spirit. He has given you his word. He has said clearly what he's called us to do. And he says, I'm with you to do that, to build that church on the truth of who he is. Do you see all that here this morning? That Jesus builds his church on the gospel truth of who he is. Let's move to the X for a minute. All right, one more. God's wisdom and ways are a mystery unless He reveals them to us. They aren't naturally going to make sense to us. And one of the things that's really interesting here, you think about what Jesus does right here. He begins to explain, and by the way, I feel it's safe to say that Jesus was a really good teacher, right? 
He explained things pretty well. The problem here is not, the, the disconnect here is not because of Jesus, but he begins to explain he's going to suffer and he's going to be killed and raised to life. Like, he says the words physically to the disciples, and the disciples hear them physically with their ears. And what happens for the rest of the Gospels? There's 12 chapters left in Matthew out of 28, almost half the Gospel left. What happens? Do they get it? Do they understand it? A single time for the rest of the... When Jesus dies, do they say, yeah, he told us this was going to happen. Here we go. No. Right? They run and they hide and they think that it's all over and what in the world has gone wrong. And he says it over and over and over, physically hearing it with your ears, even saying with your mouth, yeah, I know what he said. We're good to go. It's not the same thing as the spiritual work of God that the Spirit has to do in our hearts and minds to open our eyes spiritually to the truth of who Jesus is, to open our ears spiritually, to hear this truth in a way. It's why Jesus says over and over and over, when people are listening to him speak, he who has ears, let him hear. That you would think, well, we've all got ears and we all hear what you're saying. But he's not talking about that on that level. He's not talking about just, I sit in a room and I hear these words that Jesus said physically. Do you hear them spiritually in your heart? Is there a work of God taking place in you that's changing who you are because all the power and authority of Jesus is coming to dwell in you and transform your heart by his spirit? So that's why we go to this examine your heart piece. A few applications for us as a church, for you individually. What's God saying to your heart this morning? Ways that he's encouraging you. Ways that he's challenging you. Something that he's calling you to do. Share a couple with us. Jesus will reward each person according to what we have done. And I think contextually, you want to think about are you building the church by dependence on Jesus and by declaring the gospel truth of who Jesus is or are you building some other thing by human strength and human wisdom and human effort? Whichever thing that you build, Jesus will respond to that thing accordingly. The reward of Jesus is given to those who are made perfect by the grace of Jesus. Like it's what you have done that you have trusted and relied on Jesus that you have denied yourself and died to yourself and stopped trusting yourself and stopped relying on yourself and stopped thinking that you've got some of the answers and you've got it together and you can do this and this is the way and this makes sense to me, that you've died to all that, that you've died to self and come to actually follow Jesus. That as an act of faith, you've done what he says because he's spoken clearly. Are we trusting him? And are we saying, you're the only, you've said it. You have to build your church. I trust you. Do it. You've said you'll do it on the gospel truth of who you are. So let me believe that truth and live that truth and speak that truth and that truth alone and die to everything else. There will be glorious reward forever 
for the people who trust Jesus in that way. When you can say, here's what I did. I trusted Jesus. Here's what I did. I believed the gospel truth of who Jesus is. Here's what I did. I threw myself on Jesus as the only one who could do this. And he'll say, here's the reward for all of my righteousness credited to you as if it were yours. (laughs) Or you can say, God, here's what I tried to do for you. Here was all my effort. Here was all my ideas. Here was all my good intentions. And he can look at all that religious activity and say, that wasn't faith in me. Do we trust Jesus this way? What else is he saying to your heart? It doesn't. <laughs> I wish I could write all that down. It doesn't depend on us to build the church. And by us, here's what we mean. It doesn't depend on your abilities, your eloquence, your speaking ability, your intelligence, how articulate you are, how persuasive you are, how well-informed you are, how well you answer everybody's questions. It does not depend on us. It does not depend on your man-made effort and self-righteousness. It depends on Jesus through his spirit. And if we're believing him and he says, I'll build it on the gospel truth of who I am, then we just speak that. And when it looks like it makes no sense right now to speak this in this situation, we speak that anyway. That we look at people, I found it to be really helpful to me to be sitting in conversations with people where they're talking about all the stuff that's going on in their life that's wrong or all the the things that just aren't the way they'd want, whether it's in their marriage or with their children or at work, and to listen, hopefully patiently and sometimes graciously, I hope, but then to look at them and say, What's your relationship with Jesus like right now? Like, I I get all this, but what about him? Like, to really believe he's the answer. To really believe that all this at its core is God working in your life to strip away all the stuff that's not him and draw your heart to him. And we believe that a conversation about Jesus and this declaration of, hey, Jesus uses broken things. Jesus uses weak and foolish people. Jesus brings dead things to life. Jesus is able to do this in your life. Do you see him? Do you see that he's bigger than everything going on in your life? To really believe that is how he builds his church. That is how he changes people's lives. And to be willing to say, hey, it doesn't depend on me coming up with all this other stuff for them. It depends on me pointing them to him because it depends on him. What else? One other thing God's saying to your heart. Yeah. I, 
Our hearts have to be focused on the things of God. Oh, sorry. Make that a G. Not merely human things. And look over here what it looks like. The concerns of God versus human things. Like if, if this is going to be Jesus' church built on his gospel, if he's doing this in your heart, here's what your life looks like. Things of God results in you die to yourself. Right? You take up your cross and you follow Jesus. You are no longer the center of your life. Jesus is the center of your life. You are no longer the source of your life. Jesus is the source of your life. You are no longer the purpose of your life. Jesus is the purpose of your life. These are the things of God that it's a life of self-giving and self-sacrifice, of pouring self out in love to others that is no longer turned in on me and what I want and what I think and even what I need, but it's I've found everything in Jesus and he is filling me with all that he is and so I've I'm now full in a way that I can overflow to others in love and I can give myself to love the way that God loves because he's loving in me and through me. Like that's what he's saying to our hearts. That's what it looks like for our hearts to be filled with and focused on the things of God, the concerns of God and not merely human concerns. I want us to pray in just a minute. We're going to ask God to be working this way in our hearts, to build this type of church. I really want to see Jesus build his church. I really want to be part of that. Like just not me standing here, like me sitting there with you, all of us together, getting to see Jesus build his church and what that looks like and what that means and what he might do. And so I want us to pray together and ask him to do that. And then we're going to worship. And we are going to praise God. We are going to thank God that this is who Jesus is and this is what Jesus does. And I want you to, to focus your heart on this thought right now. When you, when you think about really and truly dying to self and following Jesus, when you're honest, that's a really scary thing. We trust ourselves more than we admit. We love ourselves more than we admit. We want to hold on to our ways and our thoughts more than we want to admit. And to say, no, like I trust you more. You are better. I know that you are worth it here. Here I am. Take me. Take me in all of my mess. I believe, I, I believe what you say in the gospel. I believe what you've done. I believe the gospel truth of who you are. That is a scary thing. And to say, Jesus, we want to do this your way. And when it doesn't make sense to us, when it doesn't look right to us, when that's not how we would do it, we want to do it your way. I want you to have this thought, that this is who he is. This is why you can trust him that way. This is why you should want, like your heart should beat fast at the thought of, what if Jesus does this instead of me? What if we get his church instead of what we can do? What if it's his work and his grace in my life instead of mine? Here's why that should seem like such a good thing to you in the whole history of the world. Here's how it's supposed to happen. 
the king goes to his people and he says, go fight and die for me to advance my kingdom. That's how the world does it. But you have a king who came to you and said, I will go and fight for you to make you part of my kingdom. I will die for you. The king died for his people. And not even for his people. The king died for the enemies and the rebels who were fighting against him. Like he, Jesus did not send his people into war to fight against his enemies for him. Jesus came and let his enemies kill him so he could die for them and make them his people. That's who you are. That's who I am. The enemies of the king and the king died for us. Rebels against the king and the king said, I'll die and make you part of my kingdom. I'll turn you into my people. I'll give you. I won't tell you, go get stuff from me and give it to me because I'm your king. He said, I will come and I'll give you everything I have and make you my people. You can trust him. You should want what he offers more than anything you could ever think of. He's so different from anything else you know. And he is so much better. He is so much better. Let's pray. Father, please do this. Build your church on the truth of who Jesus is. Father, may it drip off of our lips the story of this loving, gracious, self-giving, sacrificing, dying king who redeems rebels and restores enemies and calls them his people. Build your church on that truth. Melt our hearts with that truth. Change our lives. Change who we are by the power of your spirit and the truth of the gospel of who Jesus is. Please, Father, you're the only one who can do it. We confess how much we need you. And we admit how hard it is for us to let go of our way of doing things and our thoughts and our worldly wisdom. To let go of just wanting to be in control of our own lives and what happens in our lives and what happens around our lives. Father, by the power of your Spirit, help us die to ourselves this morning. Crucify us by your Spirit. May we be crucified with Christ and come to new life in Him as He lives in us. In the name of Jesus, because of Jesus, build your church on the truth of Jesus. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.